Today we're starting a new series uh, entitled Fake News, The Myth of the Devil. And the London Telegraph says, and I quote, Fake news is not a term many people used four years ago. But now it is seen as one of the greatest threats to democracy. End quote. Now, for those of us who live in a cave and are not familiar with the term fake news, what it's referring to is it's a type of yellow journalism, which yellow journalism is that which is uh, cloaked in sensationalism and, and crude exaggeration. It's a type of yellow journalism that consists of this deliberate disinformation spread through traditional news media outlets. Now, I don't know if fake news is the greatest threat to democracy, but I do know that there is one fake news that is the greatest threat to our eternity. And that is the fake news that there is no devil and that there is no punishment for your sinful life and that Satan is not alive and working in the lives of men today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of believers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. But then Psychology Today states, and I quote, there is no such thing as the devil. The two largest religions of the world, Christianity and Islam, teach that there is and they are wrong. Now, I don't claim to be, a, to be an expert on Satan by any stretch of the imagination, although... I was raised with a close relative of his. <laughs> uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. I know, starting out bad, and it's probably just going to go downhill from here, but we'll see. Hey, at least we're in this together, right? You're saying, oh, no, no, I'm not here with you. No, you're out here by your own, big boy. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, Oh, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food 
that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. So here we are dealing with the real first family and the effect of fake news. Now, it's not only on their life, but it is for their eternity. And so the theme of the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And so, and there's a theological term that you may be familiar with, and it's called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention is significant because it usually sets the standard that follows throughout the rest of the Bible. And what I mean by that is whatever the blood was in the book of Genesis, it will still be that in the book of Revelation. Whatever the enemy was in the book of Genesis, he will still be that in the book of Revelation. Whatever God is in the beginning, he is that in the end. Because God said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, if we can understand things that happened in the book of Genesis, it will help us understand things that happen later on. In other words, what I'm trying to say is if you learn things about God or the devil when you're 15, they'll still be true on your 150th birthday. Isn't that right, Terry? Oh, no, no, I don't mean she's 150 years old. Today's her birthday. Today's my sister's birthday. So I was, just, I was giving the shout-out birthday, and uh, it, just, it, 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 it just happened to be when I said on your 150th birthday. No correlation at all. But, you know, when we hear the Word of God through the opinions of preachers, it can affect our ability to discern, to discern truth. You see, because truth, when it is filtered through a painting of opinion, well, then it becomes tradition. Then it becomes religion. And because of this, many, many ministers in our text, they've used that to spread fake news that has caused women a lot of pain. And what I mean by that is like the woman who is feeling unappreciated. And so she asked her husband, where would you be without me? And he snidely replies, in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> and so some have felt that had Eve been in the proper place beside her husband, then sin would have never happened. And they blamed the woman for being the portal whereby sin entered this world. There shouldn't have been any amens to that. No, no, that's not right because that's not supported by the Scriptures at all. Eve hadn't wandered off by herself. I mean, when she got through talking to the serpent, verse 6 even says she also gave to her husband with her. I mean, she turned to Adam and said, hey, baby, have some of this. This is awesome. And so Adam couldn't have been across the garden because Eve's arm wasn't that long. But speaking about Adam, the odd thing is about Adam is there and, and he's silent. Eve is having this discussion with the enemy and Adam ain't saying nothing. And let me say, folks, it is silent men that are killing the church. It is men who come to church and think that it's masculine to act detached and disconnected from the service that is killing the work of God. 
Whoever told you that praising God was for women? Whoever told you that being a prayer warrior was being a sissy? I want you to know real men pray, real men praise God, and the church needs men who open their mouths and shut the enemy down. Sir, you need to be a man of prayer. You need to be a man of praise because your family is in spiritual warfare and you better learn how to fight the real fight that's going on in this world today. And when the devil comes against you, you are not going to be able to punch his lights out. But I want you to know you can praise God and you can worship God and you can take the devil out without even clenching your fist. Why? Because the power of life and death is in your tongue and you can defeat the devil with the word of God. Now, that's not my message. That's message number one. And so I'm going to start message number two now, and I'm not even going to charge another offering. So rest assured, your money is safe. And so here in our text today, we have, we have the first open conflict. Now, remember the law of first mention. And so that means that we're going to have an ongoing fight between good and evil. We're going to continually be in spiritual warfare from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And so this first conflict sets the tone for everything that we're going to see throughout the history of, hum of our human endeavors to reach God. So the Bible introduces us to the enemy by telling us that the enemy assumes many forms, that he comes in many ways. And Satan can work through anything that yields itself over to him. Okay, stop thinking about your mother-in-law. That's not what I'm talking about. Here Satan is working through the serpent. And verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. He was subtle. He was deceptive. And friend, you must understand that when the enemy gets ready to come against you, he is not going to play fair. He's going to come against you with pattern. He's going to come against you with thoughtfulness. It's a mind thing. The enemy is cool and calculated, and he has been studying you, and he is after you with a structured and a strategic attack. And that's why you have to be a person of thought. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and that someone just might be you if he has his way. And I want you to know many people are defeated even though they're talented because they are not thoughtful. You can be gifted but still be broke and broken because you cannot think how to use what God has given you. I mean, wouldn't it be terrible for someone to break into your house and you have a weapon, but you know not how to use it? You have the solution. You have the bullets, but you wait until the attack happens until you try to learn how to load the gun. That's why it's so important for you to apply the Word of God that you learn at church. Because when your family is under the attack of cancer or your family is under the attack of abuse or your finances are under attack or some other enemy that has come against you, you don't have time to get your Bible down that you haven't read in months and try to figure out what's in God's Word. No, you've got to be able to work it in advance. You can't just sit like a bump on the log in church and think that's enough. You can't just shout and clap and think that's going to be enough against the devil. You need to understand how to use the weapons that God has given you. 
And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And whenever God gets ready to fight, He does it with the power of His Word. If there's anything that the enemy doesn't want you to have, it's God's Word. The devil doesn't mind if you come to church. The devil doesn't even care if you get doodads running up and down the back of your neck. That doesn't bother him, but what Satan does mind is for you to get God's Word down in your heart and down in your spirit. Because I want you to know the fight is between the Word of God and the Word of the enemy. The fight between good and evil. So in our text, Satan doesn't come up to Eve and say, Oh, you're a lovely lady. I love your outfit. No. He doesn't waste time with that. So what does he do? He engages her with a question. Verse 1 says, Has God indeed said that you can't eat of every tree in the garden? You see, he wants to give her a word test. He wants to see what she knows. But you see, Eve passes. Because she says to the serpent in verse 2, we may eat the fruit of all the trees of the garden, except from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And God has said, do not eat it, do not touch it, or you'll die. Now see, Eve was right. The woman had heard what God had said. She had ingested it, and she could repeat it. She was a word quoter. Now, I don't know what in the world's going on with Adam. I mean, he didn't say anything. So probably he's standing there and he's thinking, well, I'm just going to let her talk. And you know, I've made that mistake before. And when I did, that's when Starla said, uh, yes, we'll take two of those. <laughs> now, the whole story would have turned out differently if Adam would have stepped up and said, what are you doing talking to my wife? If he would have been a stand-up sort of guy, we wouldn't be in this mess. But here we are in this situation where this woman is left alone to fight with the enemy. But to her credit, she knows the word. She's on the right track. Well, then we get to verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, Oh, come on. Come on. You're not surely going to die. And that's when Satan begins to dilute what Eve knows about God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 4. The Word of God says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. Why are they mighty in God? So we can pull down strongholds for casting down arguments and every high thing that what? Exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Whenever, whenever the enemy gets ready to fight you, he's going to come against what you know about God. Now, if you don't have any knowledge, well, he doesn't have much to come against. But if you do have knowledge, he's going to try to pollute or dilute what you know about God by trying to plant just that tiny little mustard seed of doubt. See, Satan's not going to tempt the knowledgeable believer the same way he tempts someone who has no knowledge. Right. Now, when you're not a knowledgeable believer, he, Satan can easily tempt you with just a, a certain sin here or a little weakness over there. But when you're a knowledgeable believer, he has to change his strategy. 
And that's why he gave Eve a word test. He wanted to see where she was. And again, she passed. She said, hey, I know what God is saying. I've been to Nina's Bible class. I know what's in the word of God. So the devil says, uh-oh, uh-oh. Now I've got to change my strategy. I have to come in from a different direction. Remember, he's subtle. And when he gets ready to attack you, he's not going to fight you head on because he knows if he showed up at your doorstep looking like the devil, you'd rebuke him. Because let's be honest, even sinners don't want demons running around their bedroom. Right? And so he knows not to show you who he really is, so what does he do? He changes himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, what does it say? For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He comes to you in such a subtle form so he can fool you. And then along with that, friend, you need to understand that whether things are going right or wrong, you are under attack. And so even if things are going well, you can't relax. Because it's just that he hasn't released it yet, but he is always strategizing about his next move to try to get in to your life. And that's why even in the good times, you've got to be studying God's word and making ready for war because you never know when the old devil is going to try to jump in your window. And that's why I made up my mind that my theme song is I refuse to go back where I have come from. I've made up my mind that if I have to get up an hour earlier or three hours earlier, or if I have to pray at midnight, if I have to fast until I look like Twiggy, I refuse to go back where I came from. And I say, devil, you're not taking me alive. I'm going to go fighting and scratching and clawing and kicking every step of the way. I'm going to march into the enemy's camp. I'm going to take back what he's stolen from me. I want it back in the name of Jesus. Now watch this. God said, now, if you eat of the tree, you will die. But then Satan makes just a slight alteration. One word. Oh, no. You will not surely die. If you're a fisherman here, you know what a headache it is when you get a knot in the fishing line. And so the devil just threw a knot in there, and it completely changed the revelation. Now, folks, you need to watch Revelation. Because this is where Satan traps believers, because believers, well, I mean, we have a tendency to have itching ears. We like new things. We like new teachings. We like new moves of God. And sometimes your hunger for the new can take you into the strange. And anytime you get revelation that contradicts God's information, you've got to throw that revelation out. You see, because Satan made an alteration to God's information, and you cannot alter God's word. God said, don't add or subtract from my word. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall stand forever. And I want you to know so-called revelation that changes the word of God is fake news. Satan said, you won't die if you eat from this tree. That's what he told Eve. 
Well, today what he's telling us is, hey, come on. You've got to use common sense. God didn't mean what he said. You've got to look out for yourself. You've got to look out for old number one. To someone, he says, hey, listen, you know you're lonely. And so it's okay if you let down your standards a little bit. Or to someone else, he says, oh, it's just one drink. It's not going to hurt anybody. Or to someone else, he says, listen, if you don't go in and flip out on your boss, you're never going to get that raise. And Satan is filling your mind with all sorts of nonsense, trying to convince you that, hey, come on. God didn't mean what he said. He doesn't mean it. And then the serpent says in verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, Eve knew her word. But you see, the enemy became more deceitful. And he said, look, if you'll take this side road, if you'll just take this little, little shortcut, oh, then you can be like God. I mean, after all, what's wrong with that? Isn't that the song we used to sing? To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like him. Don't we want to be like Jesus? Isn't that what we strive for? But see, when the enemy knows that you have a good desire, he will try to use that good desire and trick you with how you go about it. So the devil said, you're not going to die. Go ahead, eat from the tree, and then you will be like God. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, if you can't find it, look on someone else's Bible because we can't hold the message up because you didn't get those little thumb tags on your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived. So I guess, that knew, I guess he knew what was going on. So why he kept his mouth shut I don't know, but, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. The Bible tells us that the woman was deceived. Now, if she was deceived, then she thought that she was getting something good. If I sell you property in Florida, and I tell you it's on the water, you think you're getting beachfront property. But you could be deceived and, and it really be Everglades. And the enemy will deceive you where you think you're doing something good, but you're actually doing something wrong. Look in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus gives seven woes to the Pharisees for their sinfulness, but yet they thought that they were above reproach. So let me bring it up today, up to today. Some people think it's fine to take their tithe money to help out their kids. Oh, it's going for a good cause. 
Or other people, they justify taking office supplies from their work because they're using them in their ministry. See, people want to do the right thing, but they go about it the wrong way. And truth taken to the extremes can be dangerous. That's why you need to be careful. And Satan says, take this and you will be like God. And she says, well, that sounds good. I want to be like God, so give me the fruit. Adam was there, 1 Timothy 2.13 says he wasn't deceived, but yet he says nothing. He stays silent. Now, I've jumped on silent men, but what about silent Christians? How many conversations do you hear where people are assassinating your Christian brothers and sisters? How many people do you, conversations do you hear where people are assassinating the leaders of our country or where they're assassinating your friends and you say nothing? Your silence enables the enemy to destroy. You need to put the word of God against the lie of the devil. And when the enemy opens his mouth, you need to open yours and speak up with the truth of God. Now, whenever you want to do something good, I mean, that's wonderful. But if God doesn't receive glory out of it, well, it doesn't need to be done. You don't agree with that? If God doesn't receive glory out of everything you do as a believer in Christ, then it shouldn't be done. If you're going to do something, you need to know why you are doing it. And anytime you feel something coming up inside of you, you feel a desire to something, and you don't know why it is, you need to rebuke it. And you need to stop letting the enemy play with your mind with his fake news. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm so depressed, but I don't know what I'm depressed about. Man, I'm just crying. I, I can't stop crying. I don't know why I'm crying. Hey, if you don't know why you're crying, rebuke that thing and dry your tears. Don't let the enemy take over your mind. It is a spirit of discontentment and restlessness that makes you walk around your house not being able to rest. Don't allow the enemy to disrupt your peace of mind. Listen, Satan is deceitful and he is treacherous. And you've got to weigh your feelings and your emotions and say, why am I feeling this? Why am I doing this? And if you don't come up with a really, really good answer, you need to rebuke the devil and say, you subtle snake. You're after my mind, but I rebuke you right now in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I take authority over my mind. So devil, get out of my house and get out of my life. We have got to get a hold of ourselves because the devil is trying to set us up and he is after our mind. And he has got society thinking that he's not even real, and he is playing us like we were all a big bass drum, just thumping on us. I mean, get a hold of yourself, or that subtle snake is going to come in, and he's going to attack you with the spirit of confusion. But I want you to know you can rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. Now, it's one thing to be tempted We're all tempted. Jesus was tempted, but it's another thing to be tricked. 
And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, that Satan has tricked this generation. And because of that, he's stolen our houses, he's stolen our marriages, he's stolen our peace, and we can't even figure out how he got in. If we believe in him in the first place. And he got in by spreading his fake news that we can all be like God. His fake news that, that we, we can all have it our way. The fake news that we can do what we want and there is no repercussions. And the sad thing is, a tragic thing is, as Christians, as the church, we have stood by and said nothing. And that's why society is out of control like it is. We need to open our mouths and we need to rebuke that. God wants this world to be free. God wants you to be whole. And I want you to know today that the devil is a liar. Now, here's the way to decipher through Satan's fake news. Because, let's face it, when you're deceived, if you don't understand what the battle is about, you're going to lose the victory and not even know why. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Say the enemy attacks your finances. What happens when the enemy attacks your finances? You get angry, you get frustrated, you're stressed out, and you start arguing with your spouse because the cookie jar is almost empty. Three checks have bounced, and you thought you had the money. And so you're all up in your husband's face, and you're yelling at him saying, it's your fault if you'd get another job. And he's yelling back, he's in your face, no, it's your fault if you hadn't bought those 12 dresses. And you don't even realize that the money is not even the issue. You think the devil is after your money? The devil can't spend your money. The devil is after your family. The devil is after your marriage. The devil is after your peace. And listen, if you don't figure out what he's after, you'll replace that money, but you'll still lose the battle because he is deceiving you by getting you to think it's about one thing when it's about something else. And he's agitating the stress that you're feeling. He's after your mind. He's after your tongue. He's trying to incite you to riot. And so you've got through arguing with your spouse. So then you get, uh, get dressed. You go to work. You're still upset. You're still fuming. And then you mouth off at your boss. Then you do get fired. You lose your job. And now you're really broke. That really helped, didn't it? You see, you think you're fighting the good fight of faith, but you're losing the war because the enemy is deceiving you, and so you end up tearing down your own house. You end up tearing down your own peace. You end up tearing down your own family. You end up tearing down your own life because you don't know where the battle is coming from. Listen, friend, your mouth will get you in trouble if you don't sit down and figure out what the devil's after. And so in any attack or any situation, you're not going to get the victory if you don't understand the war. So now here's the application of this message. You can tell what the devil is after by how you react to the attack. How you react to the attack. I mean, what do you feel like doing when Satan attacks you? If he incites you to rage, that means he's after your peace. 
If it makes you worry, that means he's after your faith. If it sends you into depression, he's after your joy. If it makes you feel despondent, he's after your hope. And if you want to kill somebody, he's after your love. And so what do we do? What's the solution? When you figure out what Satan is after, you need to turn 180 degrees and go the other way. Whatever you're feeling, you need to turn around and do the opposite. If you're angry and you want to come home and kick the dog, the cat, and the kids out the door, you need to get a hold of yourself and you need to walk into the house and say, praise God, I am so glad to be home. Oh, I love my dear family. Come give me a big hug. Oh, mama, you look so good. What smells so good in the kitchen? That's what James 4, 7 means when it says resist the enemy and he will flee from you. That's how you resist the devil, by going in the opposite direction. If he says stand up, you need to sit down. If he says sit down, you need to stand up. If he says stay at home in bed today, then get dressed and get out of the house. And if you will do this, you will start discouraging the one who has been discouraging you. You need to walk in this so strong that the enemy will start talking to himself. He'll say, man, I did everything I could to him, and it's not working. I tried to get her to walk away, and she stayed. I tried to give them not to give, and they gave even more. If you're tired of the devil chasing you, turn around and chase the devil. Discourage him until he gives up. So Satan says to Eve, if you do this, you will be like God. So he's enticing her with something that appealed to her. But really, what he's doing, he's stating his own desire, his own goal. Because if you look over to Isaiah 14 and 14, what did Satan say? I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The origin of Satan's fake news, ambition. Now, you have to realize that the time he said this, he's still operating in the kingdom. He's still Lucifer, covered with jewels, beautiful, head of the music department, head of the praise and worship. But, but he's ambitious. He wants position. He wants recognition. Friend, listen, we need to be careful when we try to be something God has not called us to be. Why is it so deceitful? You see, because on the surface, it looks like a good thing. Because it's in the hearts of people who really want to be used for the Lord. But you see, we have to be careful that it doesn't lead to pride. You see, there's nothing wrong with ambition as long as it fits in with the plan that God has for our life. But when we stray away from God's plan, we're going to be about as effective as me becoming a woman. Can you imagine that? That's a scary thought. Have to take all these shots. Can you imagine me walking around in high heels like Starla wears? I'd have two broken ankles in 15 seconds. Have to buy $2,000 worth of makeup and smear it all over my face. And at best, I'm still going to be a nightmare of a woman because I'm trying to be something that I am not. And then when I'm trying to be something that God has not called me to be in his kingdom, 
then I'm missing out on what God has really anointed me and called me to be. So we've got to be careful of Satan's deceitful ambition. He offered Eve a shortcut to be like God. He offered her fake news. And so we've got to be careful not try to do a good thing, but yet do it in the wrong way. I mean, he was good. She was sincere. She knew the word. But she was deceived. And Satan will try to deceive you by using something good, but then lead you in the wrong way to accomplish it. So the question is, what do you want and why do you want it? Is it for God's glory or yours? Because selfish selfish ambition will never work in the kingdom of God. Bow your heads with me if you want.